And now it's time for Dave's Disney View Podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. But he understands its place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. So come along and take a listen to Dave's thoughts about the Walt Disney World Resorts and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, I thought I would go back and talk a little bit more about my magic today. And I know I've been talking a lot about my magic over the last several podcasts, but it feels like this is the hot topic of the day. It's, there's a lot of discussion about it on many of the message boards. There's a lot of uh, writers writing about it. There seems to be a lot of interest in it and a lot of, well, uh, things that are happening that I think maybe are slightly concerning that uh, are worth talking about. So... Uh, first off, I wanted to talk about the fact that you know Disney seems to be trying to keep people on property, and this is really nothing new. In fact, if you think back to the original concepts that Walt had come up with, what he wanted to do was bring people in so they had to go through the transportation center and see the whole thing and see how some of these uh, new technologies were coming coming along and actually be sort of a captive audience to be able to see these things and these technologies and then be able to enjoy the amusement park. So it would take a little effort to get into the, uh, to the park itself. And, you know, if you think about the way Disney World is designed today, if you go into the Magic Kingdom, you park at the main parking lot, you go to the Transportation and Ticket Center, then you either have to take the monorail or the ferry over to the Magic Kingdom. So it's a little bit of a trek to get over there. And if you're just going to the Magic Kingdom, you know, you're just going to stay there. You're not going to be doing a lot of moving around. So it's interesting how that kind of all plays out because it fits into the storyline here and sort sort of the concept. And then um, as recently as the 1980s, there was some talk about the potential to build a train uh, that would allow people to kind of come and go and maybe a bus terminal that would allow people to come and go to Disney property. And there was a lot of discussion about whether there should be a high-speed rail that would take people all the way from South Florida and uh, Western Florida right to Disney property so that people could, e- people could easily get around and be able to, uh, to go to Disney World. The challenge always for Disney was how do you keep guests on property? So as other amusement parks uh, popped up and other things to do sort of crept around the area, the question was, how do you keep guests who are at Disney property there? So they actually were going to give up a little bit of land at the southern end of the uh, property to uh, have this uh, this train coming to. At the time, it was Cow Pasture. Now it's actually part of uh, Celebration, the town of Celebration. And uh, it it was a means to keep people who were coming to the Disney property on Disney property. And if you think about Magical Express and the way that works, they get people to basically come off of the airplanes or the boats and actually come and uh, come directly to Disney property. And then essentially you're a captive audience because you don't have a car or other means of transportation to get off of Disney property. So very smart on Disney's uh, part to a large degree. And it kind of fits in because, you know, that's always been the one of the stated goals was to try and keep people there and spending money at the Disney property. Now, you know, spending money there, they'll never say that, but you can certainly see that in some of the uh, things that are going on. So Jay Rizzullo, who's the uh, president of the uh, Walt Disney Parks, um, was talking about my magic to investors the other day. And uh, he had this quote. 
You know, we have now have MyMagic Plus rolled out to all of our resort guests on property, all of our 35,000 hotel and vacation club rooms. The experience has been extremely good for the people using the product. And to break down the product, for me, there are really two big aspects. First and foremost, the planning vehicle, so it encourages guests to plan from home, allows them to line up their agenda, and most importantly, it allows them to line up their fast passes and really arrive on property with very, a very strong sense of what the agenda is going to be. That's not only something that guests enjoy doing and want to do from our perspective. We know that the earlier guests plan their trip to Walt Disney World, the more time they spend with us. People have been coming to Central Florida for about an eight-day vacation for a very, very long time. And once they get into the market, all, you've been, all you have to do down there, you're just bombarded with all of the other things that you can do in Orlando. When people plan at home, they tend to uh, plan a lot more of their time at Disney World. There's all, they are also exposed to planning process, uh, a lot of the products that they don't know existed, and a lot of things uh, when, they, when they see and they say, wow, I'd really like to do that. Whether it's a character meal or the special parts of the resort they've not, not even been aware of before, they start planning. So this is probably the first, and probably from an economic driver, the most important part of MyMagic Plus. It links into technology that you experience when you're on property in the form of a wristband that is lo has a long-range and short-range RFID that keeps the entire itinerary for you. That has all of your fast passes, that's all your uh, entry park ticket, that's your key to your hotel room, and it allows you to know where you are along your itinerary and potentially interact with you in terms of enhancing the experience and, of course, economically in terms of upselling. And that's the second half of the product. So now that we've got that rolled out up to a very significant portion of our guests, it's going very well. It's in the very, very early days on the economics and the returns of it, but we're very happy with what we see in terms of behaviors and look forward to rolling it out for the entire guest population. Listen carefully to what he's saying. He talks about wanting to keep people on property. That's no big surprise. It's, it's about you know, trying to get the economic drivers to keep people at Disney World. So they're planning and you're making the excitement. And you really now you've got this wristband and you've already got it on. You're there. You've already planned out your itinerary for your eight-day trip. You're not going to go anywhere else. right? So that's the, that's the first important part. The second important part is that they're uh, trying to drive... Um, other things that people can do, right? Try, by trying to give them different experiences and different things that they might not otherwise know about. So, and that's probably a good thing because they're actually helping people to understand some of the, uh, the nuances that they maybe weren't aware of before. The third thing is this thing about upselling. Now, that's the one that we haven't heard a whole lot about. And that's the one where they're going to be talking about ways to uh, encourage guests to do more or take advantage of more opportunities. And here's where I come back to the idea if you're staying at a vacation club property, you're probably going to be, be offered more things because you're spending more. So they'll offer you more opportunities. Some will be included. Some will be additional cost. But it's all about adding in additional things to try and make, drive a little more profit. So you kind of get that. You get the sense that that's where they're headed with this. Um, and then the last part to it was, if you noticed in there, he says it has a short-range and a long-range RFID. Now, that's generated a lot of discussion over the last few months. There's been a lot of uh, things going on. There's been people who come back from their, from their uh, park trips, and they realize when they see their photo CD, or their images online anyway, that there are pictures of them on Splash Mountain, let's say, and the uh, picture of them at the drop. And they didn't do anything to say, to say especially they were on Splash Mountain. The RFID tag picked it up and then was able to associate it to them. So that My Magic Band that they were wearing was able to pick up the fact that they were on Splash Mountain, it associated it with their account, and then put it in their photo CD, that, the uh, Splash Mountain picture of them dropping. Whoa. Disney really moved the needle on that very quietly. We didn't know much about that, but they really changed the way it was all working. And if you read the fine print that's now on the contract, 
that you get when you get the My Magic bands, uh, you'll realize that this they are talking specifically about long-range uh, RFIDs. So they are tracking guests through the parks. They know exactly where everyone is at all times, and they know what the patterns look like. Now, from Disney's perspective, this is kind of a good thing, right? Because they know where everybody is. They kind of have a sense of where to staff up, what do patterns look like when people are moving around the parks. And with planning, thinking about your trip 30 days in advance, you're thinking about where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing. And Disney can, can staff accordingly based on the kinds of things that you're selecting. So it, from their perspective, it's a really good thing. And I think that part is really positive because it allows them to do some things. But here's where it starts to break down a little bit for me. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that's happening is the fast pass machines, the traditional paper-based fast pass machines, are all being removed from Disney's Animal Kingdom, and they'll all be gone by the end of this year. Gone. There will be no more. And the only way to get the fast pass plus is to schedule them through the fast pass plus system. So that means that now your planning aspect of it is the only way to get a fast pass to, say, Kilimanjaro Safaris or Expedition Everest. It just changed dramatically. They moved the needle. And I expect that Epcot, the Magic Kingdom, and uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios will be changing shortly, too. They're going to probably test Animal Kingdom first because it's the lowest attendance park, make sure that everything's working well there, and then they'll start doing the other parks. And there will be no more Fast Pass machines. So you have to use Fast Pass Plus. Now, the question is, for guests such as myself who go up kind of on a moment's notice and stay off property, what's in it for me? Do I have to stand in the queues all the times? I can't use FastPass anymore because that doesn't exist. I do have an RFID tag-enabled uh, card. I don't have a wristband. I, I currently have a, uh, an annual pass. It's an RFID card. Um, but I don't have a wristband. And I can't schedule because I don't have the plan in advance. And if people are planning 30 days out and I'm going tomorrow... How would I be able to plan what I'm going to be able to do? And I don't mind standing the queues. That's okay with me. They made the queues a lot more fun in most cases anyway, so they were kind of interactive and they're, they're fun. But I just I can't understand that. It just seems kind of odd to me, and it seems like they're making a huge change to the mindset. Now, remember on a previous podcast, one of the things I was talking about was that Disney is kind of changing the mindset. They want to shift the playing field so that it's leveled out a little more, and people in the Vacation Club properties and other high-end uh, that have spent a lot of money on it have more advantages, and people who are day guests or locals have less advantage. And they want to spread people out in the time that they're in the park. By selling Vacation Club properties throughout the course of a year, you're basically spreading out when people are going to be there. And if you're telling people up front, hey, the, um, the park is going to be crowded this particular week, why don't you come the following week, you know, kind of suggesting that to them through their planning – that actually would help manage their crowds a little bit differently that way as well. So, you know, in a way, they spread out the, the, the year so there's not these really dry periods for Disney like in the second week in January through basically President's Day and then in that period between like Labor Day and the middle of October. Those are usually uh, lesser periods in the parks. There's fewer people there because people are going back to school and doing different things and so there's, there's fewer people around. But if they could... Um, condition people to start coming at different times, say during those times, and fill the hotel rooms a little more, that's a benefit to them. So I find that, uh, find that interesting, but I don't know how it's going to work for me as a day guest. So they're going to be doing away with the Disney Parks app. That's the old mo mobile magic app. And they're going to be focusing on the uh, My Disney World Experience app. And that'll be the one that'll be uh, fo the focal point for being able to make changes on the fly to your FastPass Plus. So you can use a kiosk in the park, or you could use that app to be able to change your fast passes. So there's still some holes and some gaps in the way the process works, and it's still not clear what will happen if, say, it's a rainy day and you have to change or you decide you want to change, and there's no fast passes available to the other thing you want to do. Maybe you're changing parks or whatever. So it kind of changes things.
I also can't help but notice in some of the discussions that have been going on that certainly one of the things that's happening here is that they're changing the, uh, the way that the uh, park hopping works. So as you think about in the uh, old days, we would all go park hopping. We would go in from one park to another and just bop around to different parks. I suspect that's going to be a, an additional thing, a perk, an add-on, something that you would add to your regular ticket. I don't think that's going to be a standard thing for most tickets anymore. I know that they currently add park hopping to a standard base ticket, but I think that's going to be an additional thing where they're going to try and discourage people from doing park hopping. By having three fast passes or fast pass pluses in a single day, you're encouraging people to go to one park and stay there. You're kind of changing the way people think about it. If you think about, you know, kind of the, the context of what they're doing, it's a little bit troubling because they're encouraging people to maybe only come to Disney for one day. If you're, if you're in town and you want to just go to Disney and go to other parks, you may just go to Disney for one day and you may actually spend less money there and perhaps spend more money over at Universal or one of the other competitors because it's an opportunity to, uh, to use their systems that work a little bit differently than Disney's. Now for Disney's part, one of the interesting things is, is the long-range RFID readers, the ones that can read further away, uh, and in active sense, those are actually uh, high-end, uh, sophisticated devices that can read up to about uh, 10 meters away or about 30 feet, give or take, away from you. So based on the fact that you could be 30 feet away from a reader, it can tell where you are at any time in the park. There's some privacy concerns around that, of course, and that's why Disney decided to put out its uh, own little statements within the uh, legalese to make sure that you're aware of that. And that's why Jay Rizzullo mentions it, because he wants to make sure that that gets out there so that they don't find themselves in a protracted legal battle about having hidden that information. But what they do with that data, that's kind of hidden from public view. It's not clear if they're going to be using it um, to aggregate up against a group of people or if they're going to look at individual behaviors or if they're going to be doing something else or if they're going to take the big data and pass it back and talk about uh, specific things that you did and offer you opportunities based on the fact that you were standing at a kiosk and didn't purchase something. So it's an interesting thing that they've got going on. Um, you know, they are a private company and they can do a lot of things that they want to do. And because you're on their property, you, they have the ability to keep track of uh, what you're doing. So that's, it's just interesting to me the way that works. And that kind of goes along with uh, another thing that I've noticed. Uh, you, I've mentioned before that you have to do the uh, biometric scan uh, where you put your finger on the reader and they take um, a number of points from your finger. I think it's like 50 points from your finger and essentially have a uh, fingerprint from you because they've taken all those points, though they don't actually take the fingerprint, or at least they say they don't, and they store it on their computer for an undetermined amount of time. Now, whether they link it to your name, that's still unclear, too. It's not clear to me what they're doing with it or for how long or what they link it to, but now they have information about you, and, of course, for their own security measures, they're trying to keep people out or from reselling tickets or whatever, and I get that. And originally, it was stated that you could actually bypass the biometric reader and just use a photo ID to be able to get in the parks. Well, apparently, over the last couple of months, there's been some changes to that as well, and they're telling people that they have to use the biometric reader or they will not be offered admission. Now, they are still making exceptions. If you go to guest relations, they'll work with you and they'll figure something out. But by and large, they're trying to make sure that everyone is using the system. And so there's a lot of push to use the biometric readers. And I know some people have a problem with um, giving up their fingerprints and so forth. And again, it's not really a fingerprint. It's more like some biometric data that could be used as a fingerprint. And there's nothing that says that it's not a fingerprint. But uh, Disney keeps insisting that it's not. So kind of one of those things. And you don't know how they're using it or what they're tying it to. Are they tying it to your name or is it just something that's tied to that card and that's not related to your name? 
So it's not really clear what they're doing with it, but hopefully you know, they're doing the smart things with it, and they're just using it as a private company would to be able to collect data about their guests um, and aggregate that up and bring, uh, bring information uh, back to the company to be able to, to, uh, to do additional things and learn more about what's happening with it. So looking at the whole thing another way, there's a technology that Disney has invested a lot of money in to make sure that they can boost their corporate profit uh, and make sure that they can uh, get the most out of the guest experience. And the guests have a better experience according to their, what they've set out to do. But on the other side of it, they haven't changed what Disney is all about. So you go to the same attractions and the same rides and the same shows that you've been seeing for the last 20 or 25 years. Nothing about that has changed. Whereas uh, other competitors like Universal have added the whole Harry Potter-themed exhibit. Now, Disney did put in the Fantasyland. I will give them credit for that. But it's not... It, it, the investment in that is not the same. It's that it's sort of a themed area, not so much of a. Uh, they didn't really think it through in terms of what the immerse, immersive experience would be like. So you still have the same attractions and the same things, and they've just kind of taken away and detracted from some of it, like doing the Jingle Cruise over the holidays. It's nice, but it doesn't really make anything uh, make anything different. So those kinds of things kind of make you wonder just a little bit about what they're doing. So they're not changing the experience at the attractions or anything. They're just changing some of the experiences that you have uh, when you go into the parks and some of the things that you do at the parks. So I found that interesting, and I found this article over at Mice Chat. Now, I admit, this article was a little more negative, but I thought it was interesting, and I wanted to just excerpt a couple of pieces from it, but because I think it really does tell the story that helps understand what, what's going on with my magic. Ever since Cars Land and the refreshed Disney California adventure opened to rave reviews in the huge crowds in June of 2012, the question in TDA has always been what's next for Anaheim. And as the Disneyland resorts pulled in profits much stronger than predicted through 2012 and 13, Burbank and TDA were comfortable enough to let the Imagineers come up with plenty of new projects for both Disneyland and DCA. And we've been here to fill you in on which of these projects are moving forward. But while times were fat and happy in Anaheim in recent years, the mood has been darkening this year out at Walt Disney World. While Anaheim spent the last few years in investing heavily in new rides, shows, and expansions in the park, the Orlando team was investing in sterile technology and decidedly unglamorous infrastructure needed to run the massive next-gen programs. The next-gen additions have only shown up in the parks recently as MyMagic and uh, FastPass Plus. The next-gen projects kept demanding more money and more time as internal deadlines go live with key elements of the plan tied to the My Magic bands went by the wayside and were replaced by an endless series of small-scale tests instead of broad implementation. With each key element going live, the operations team in the field would report back with a laundry list of problems and customer aggravations with their system. It should be noted that the operations folks saw all these problems coming years ago, but their protests and suggestions uh, to not ditch time-tested procedures or overly complicate the customer experience fell on deaf ears. But what next-gen backers like Jay Rizzullo lacked in the basic theme park operations experience, they made up for by being high up in the food chain at Burbank. And the program kept pressing forward while it went over budget and behind schedule. The execs pushing next-gen and glossing over its early failures have no frontline experience running a theme park, nor do they have any passion for providing the visitors with great experience, which is the fatal flaw behind the MyMagic's uh, problems. The end result is that Disney entered into its new 2014 fiscal year, uh, and the results of the next-gen investment weren't paying off as they promised to do strongly by fiscal year 2014. Not only is NextGen not paying off financially yet, it's created a laundry list of additional fixes that will require more investments in 2015, while the executives in charge of the NextGen project have been dancing around the issue for the past year. 
By November, the results thus far were clearly a disappointment to Burbank, and while the next-gen project was rolled out first to Walt Disney World, it was sold to Burbank and budgeted under the assumption that most of the concept could be duplicated in Anaheim as well. But one thing the next-gen project has done well is churn out tons of customer data and given the operations folks lots of new experience with frustrated visitors and knowledge of what doesn't work with the system. Much of that data conflicts with what Anaheim's demographics, dedicated locals, and a casual tourist on a bigger California vacation, and makes next-gen less workable for Disneyland, which makes the Walt Disney World financial scene even worse to Burbank. And the story goes on from there to talk about how the Walt Disney Company ties a lot of its operating profits from each of these uh, parks to what they spend throughout the parks. And so they have all these great ideas on the drawing board, and most of them have gone on hold for now while they spend all this money to fix all of the next-gen initiatives and all of the My Magic problems and FastPass Plus problems. And until then, most of the new things are kind of on hold. So, for example, the whole idea of doing a uh, new Star Wars-themed land at Disney's Hollywood Studios and or at the uh, Tomorrowland in the uh, Disneyland that will go on hold for now. You won't be seeing any Star Wars land or anything new coming up in that, in, that er, in that realm for the foreseeable future. Avatar land, for the moment, is still kind of on hold, though I guess that one's always kind of been on hold and you don't know what's going to happen with it. Moving any portion of a car's land to Florida will not happen at this time. There was talk about building a Monstropolis in DCA, and uh, for the moment, that's actually on hold as well. Now, that doesn't mean that any of these things might not come back up in the near future. That's just the way it goes. You know, things, things happen this way. Um, and uh, certainly the, the news was better for, like, Soren. They want to do a newly themed Soren attraction. There will be Soren around the world. And they actually still have plans to finish that and uh, do the filming and do some ride reengineering a little bit to make the Soren attraction a little bit more universal in that sense. And I don't mean the universal theme parks. I mean universal as in a little more global and it's not uh, California-specific. So there is a plan to do that at some point. And that is still on the table. I guess that's a lower cost option to make some of the right engineering changes they want to make there and do some things. But Disney has to see the difference in uh, their operating budget. There has to be positive financials coming out of Walt Disney World before they're going to agree to go forward with other things. You know, it's not to say that My Magic or the whole uh, FastPass Plus system is bad, because I don't think it is. I think it just needs a lot of work, a lot of tweaking to kind of get it back together and get it up to a speed and to a place where it's comfortable and everybody likes it. I mean, right now, you hear mixed reviews on it. Some people love it because they're Disney fans. Some people are wary of it. I'm a little bit in that category, I'll admit. Um, but I like the concept. I like what they're doing with it. I, you know, Conceptually, I think it's, it's really clever. It's just a matter of how they implement it and how they go forward with it. You know, There's still a lot of gaps in there. Like I said, for me as a, as a casual guest just coming in, I don't know what it's going to mean for me. And uh, it may make my experience that much worse, or it could make it the same. I just don't know at this point. You know, you become so used to seeing certain things and uh, having certain things work, work some way, and they don't work like that anymore. Nothing stays the same forever, and I'm just hopeful that it uh, actually becomes something that's, that's better, that's really good, that I enjoy, and that I still like going to the parks. Look, I still love Disney. I'm still going to go as often as I possibly can because I really enjoy going. That doesn't change. That, this changes nothing about that. What it does change is sort of my attitude about how often I go and what I do when I'm there. You know, if it's going to be harder for me to park hop or it's going to be harder for me to get a fast pass plus for certain attractions, then I might not do those attractions. I might find, uh, find other things I want to do. Now, you may know about me. You may have heard me say this before. I'm not much of a roller coaster guy. 
I don't really like some of the thrill rides, so I don't do those. So I like some of the slower moving things and some of the things that are well themed. And I actually like to people watch and hang around and just uh, be in the parks and, and watch people go by. Sometimes that's as much fun as doing some of the thrill rides. So there's something to be said for that. And I want to, I want to continue to enjoy that. And if I can continue to enjoy that, that's great. Now, my kids, on the other hand, they love roller coasters. So, you know, if they can't do some of the things that they want to do or have trouble going on some of the roller coasters because it's hard to get on them because you can't get a Fast Pass Plus to, say, uh, Space Mountain or um, the uh, Aerosmith Rock and Roller Coaster, you know, then maybe they, maybe they won't get as much enjoyment out of it. I can't say for sure. I can only tell you that I want to continue to watch this and see what happens. And I'm trying to present differing views on this to try to give you the full picture. I'm really trying not to be negative. I'm trying to keep up a positive emotion about this whole thing because I think the whole thing is really clever and I think it has so much potential. You just hope that Disney doesn't get so far in the weeds that all they're thinking about is how to use the data and how to upsell and how to you know, engage more people instead of thinking about how can I make the experience fun and how can I really get the most out of my, my guests so that they really enjoy themselves. Don't lose sight of the fact they're all guests in the park and they're having a good time. I've told you before, one of the greatest jobs I ever had was the, the job I had working at Walt Disney World. The hours were terrible, the pay was not that great, but you know what? It was more fun than I've ever had working anywhere else. It was just so much fun to be there and be a part of the magic and helping someone else's experience be great. And if that's still the case, then it's still a win if that doesn't change, right? So that's, that's what it's all about for me. I'm a, you know, I'm a little concerned that they're thinking about bottom line first, because that's not what the Disney company has always been. But if that's what it takes to kind of get them over the hurdle and get to the next level and really get something great, then I guess it's okay. Well, anyway, that's my podcast for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. It's sort of another look at my magic. I promise in future podcasts upcoming, I'm going to be doing more things. I have a bunch of questions that I need to come back and answer. I have some more news items that I uh, will get back to. And I have some podcasts about some older attractions that I think you'll enjoy where I talk about some of the history of the attractions. So we'll get back to those shortly. But for now, that's going to do it for this week. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. Now, please exit the moving podcast. The walkway is moving at the same speed as your podcast. Kindly take small children by the hand and watch your head and step. If you have questions, thoughts, or would just like to ask Dave a question, please send an email to davesdisneyview at gmail.com. You can always find Dave's Disney View on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. The show notes for this podcast can be found on disneyworldpodcast.net. Original music you hear in this podcast is courtesy of Sound A Music. You'll find a link to the latest Disney-related autism awareness event on the show notes page. We also encourage you to check out Dave's iPhone apps. There are a couple of Disney-related apps, including a hidden Mickey's app and a pin trading app.